Welcome to Vase, a podcast about weird stuff. I'm Peter C. Hine. And I am Stephen James Buckley. So today, this evening, um, we, Vase, the Vase boys, are going to be talking about some of the experiments we've been doing um, since we first discussed the experiments that we would be doing in one of the earlier episodes. Uh, So we thought we'd have a bit of a recap and look into what we've been up to in terms of magical practice, weird esoteric occult shit, and just generally all that kind of business that is our wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's weird, isn't it? Because we're just starting out in all this, and a lot of it is new to us. It seems like a lot happens in quite a short space of time, doesn't it? So yeah. I think it's only been a couple of months since we did um, episode three, where we talked about you know the experiments on Pendle Hill and all that yeah. kind of thing. But it does feel like quite a lot has happened in, uh, since that time, and so um, yeah, it's, it's probably good to recap and, uh, and and sort of discuss and see how progress is progressing. Yeah, yeah. So. One of the things I've been doing is um, some dream work. So I've been uh, I f- finished reading a book. I mentioned it previously, um, called "Liminal Dreaming" by Jennifer Dumper. Dumpert. I don't know how to pronounce it. Still, it's not something you can just Google. Um, you have to learn and, French and then uh, <laughs> yeah, get your pronunciation. I don't know what right. it means in French, though. Um, but anyway, so taking a couple of ideas from that book um i tried experimenting with a few things so um one of the things i did was to purchase a herb called mugwort which apparently if you put it on your pillow or make a brew out of it uh it enhances your dreams wildly i've heard that it's an extreme i've forgotten how to pronounce this now it's like on on honor again something like that anyway um it, it's supposed to enhance your dreams and make your dreams a lot more vivid so i tried making a, a tea out of it and nothing really happened uh, then i tried it again with a slightly stronger tea and nothing really happened and then i put some under my pillow but it didn't really smell of anything and nothing really happened so i'm not really da- i don't know if i've been sold a faulty batch. I don't know if I've just been sold like a bag of kale or something because um, <laughs> it doesn't really have any odor. So I don't see how the pillow thing would work if there's no strong odor to it. It's um, like I asked my partner, what do you think this smells of? And she said, it smells like outside. <laughs> Whereas, you know, with something like lavender, you can imagine that, you know, because it's got quite a strong scent. So I'm not, uh, I'm not particularly impressed with the whole mugwort thing. But having said that, uh, I have just ordered some um, uh, mugwort essential oil, which I'm hoping will be a stronger smell and will help enhance my dreams. Okay. Uh, Where did you get the mugwort herb from? Did you order it online? eBay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I should probably buy it from a reputable herbalist, shouldn't I? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess with things like that, I've got a, a tendency to feel like I need someone who I feel like knows what they're talking about, either in the shop or with me to sort of point at it and say, yeah, that's mugwort. Yeah, I think that's what I should have done. But I make all sorts of uh, eBay mistakes. Uh, I, today I received a uh, a Ouija board in the post, which I ordered off eBay yesterday. And uh, it was actually really small. It was, <laughs> it was A4 size, which is useless for fully grown men like ourselves so i've now got this useless tiny ouija board and i'm gonna to have to order another but 
anyway, these are I make these mistakes so you, the listener, can learn from them. Don't just buy weird shit off eBay. Buy it from a reputable occult um, retailer. So, yeah, we fall down so we can pick ourselves up, though, don't we? Exactly. So um, with the with the dream stuff, I think the the thing that's been the most interesting is um, I, I've been experimenting with uh, with as suggested in the uh, in the liminal dreaming book with uh, hypnagogic states. So hypnagogia is the it's the hypnagogic states are the states uh, just on the threshold of sleep. So just as you're falling asleep or just as you're waking up, uh, just as you're waking up, it's sometimes known as hypnopompia. I don't really like that word, so I just use hypnagogia to describe both. Why don't um, you like that word? I just don't. I don't think I like the pomp in it i think it's just a bit it's a bit like pompous it's got negative connotations and, so, you so know, you're just denying it i'm just no i'm just not using it you know so think about it magic is a lot of magic is about creating your own reality and yeah. in my reality hypnopompia is not a word so if you've done nothing else over the last couple of months you've created a, a reality in which hypnopompia is not a word Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful. Well, do, do what thou wilt and all that, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I certainly wilt. <laughs> so I've been ex- experimenting with these hypnagogic states. And if you've been in these states before, I don't know about anyone else, but I really like them. I really like that sort of feeling of where it feels quite strange and and it's kind of dreamy but not and um the book suggests like a number of different experiments you can do where you put yourself into the state and you know just by lying down basically and having a nap and then as you're falling asleep as you start to notice it then you kind of just bring yourself slightly back into consciousness but the trick is not to fully wake yourself up but just to get that that edge and it's i've been practicing it like and it's a similar practice i guess to meditation it's a similar it feels to me like it's a similar mental muscle in the idea that you've got to like move your consciousness uh, in your awareness sorry yeah uh, into a slightly different space and it's tricky it's a, a very fine balance to 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 kind of achieve so the the main thing i've been doing with it is writing down all the little phrases that come to me. So when you're in those states, you hear sort of little, you don't hear because it's not in your ears, but you, uh, you're you aware of kind of phrases. It's almost like babble. It's almost like you're tuning through a radio. I don't know, again, I don't know if other people experience this. I'm sure they do, but it's like you're tuning through a radio and you can hear like snippets of, you pick up snippets of a conversation. Yeah, I've had that, yeah. And uh, and I thought it would be interesting to write these down in my in my dream diary and i've also been keeping a dream diary as well which is great because it does that enhances your dreams far far better than crappy ebay mugwort um so yeah i've been writing these down as well and um i just thought wouldn't it be interesting if i kind of put these out into the universe as a kind of uh sort of little project i can't explain why it just seemed like a good thing to do um so i created a twitter account which we will link to in the show notes um and i called it it's due itsu or itsu it's due one of those two um anyway it's just me tweeting the little phrases that come when i'm in a hypnagogic state um and there's a ton of them on there which are 
quite entertaining sometimes. Um, largely complete bollocks, but you never know. At some point, I might channel someone or something. And it's just, I think it'll be an interesting thing to look back on over a period of time. And then also, I think my idea was putting it out there into onto kind of into cyberspace, so to speak, the World Wide Web. And just seeing if any reaction comes from it or anything happens from it. So I suppose it's kind of, if we think of, of we've spoken before about reality as being this kind of almost like a pool and you can kind of throw stones into the pool or do things to create ripples. And I suppose it's just like my own little tiny ripple creation there, just sort of flinging these things out into the universe and seeing seeing what comes of it. So far, we've had very little response, but then I haven't, we haven't uh, released the podcast yet, so maybe once people um, listen to this, they will follow that Twitter account and they will um, they will start to engage with it, and then it'll get more traction, and then you never know what might happen. So it's just a kind of way of almost projecting my subconscious out into the world to see what happens. Yeah, I love this idea, and and obviously I've been following it on Twitter, and. Uh, you're my only follower. That isn't, uh... <laughs> yeah. So um, embracing the non-linear time, when we're recording this now, we haven't actually launched any podcasts, any of these episodes on onto the um, uh, onto any platform yet. Uh, but by the time you listen to this, we will uh, have obviously launched, and you or else you wouldn't be listening to this. And so, um, if you can find our vase. Twitter account as well. I'll um, retweet from there um, yeah. this stuff as well. So we'll get it all connected um, yeah. and um, it'll be easy to find. Uh, links in the show notes as always. Uh, but yeah, I, I do really like this idea because it feels like you're putting, you're taking something from maybe you know, perhaps the collective unconscious and then streaming it out into sort of the collective conscious, which, yeah. is, which is quite an interesting experiment, you know. I mean, I'd be really interested to find if any of the snippets are relevant to people you know people that we don't know or people that we haven't met before um yeah. and and who might be able to find some significance in them or recognize them from their own lives i think it's a really interesting experiment yeah i think that and i was looking back at them in a year or something like that and seeing seeing if there's anything relevant there it's just it's like a sort of it's similar to a dream diary i guess but it's kind of got a bit more of a an outward um an outward thing going on and a, another um idea that i got from the um liminal dreaming book is to get a a voice activated recorder on my phone an app and it's a little app called dictaphone uh, so i put it next to me whilst i'm having a nap and as i'm drifting in and out of sleep um i say the things out loud that come to my head uh say the little phrases that come in and uh it records them and the results are somewhere between chilling and hilarious. Uh, so I'll play some of these for you now. Get the mouth guy to turn up at your pool in case we mentioned it in the future. All seems more efficiently. Enjoy a cheeseburger. I'd be if I hadn't moved here. Just saying, would you be able to change the volume? It's my school. Oh my God. It's not her, it wasn't smelling kids either. It's a bit smaller than the giraffe. I don't need to put them on because it was crippled all that. Strangers and creatures. Headlines. Holding the realistic. That does enough. 
Millions of them, based on your own physical appearance. All these things take place in a little process called Guinness, Iowa. Fingerprints of pop culture. Margarita Huntington. She also, in the end, had a terrible stammer. Trying to think of the dark part of Warden Park. Warden Valley. There's a part that's warm. It's about that's cool and encouraged to go on. <laughs> I love the way you say it. it's a bit smaller than a giraffe. <laughs> because, like, like a, a giraffe's a really big thing, so, so, yeah. like, so, like, so much is smaller than a giraffe. <laughs> I like, um, it's my school, oh my God. Yeah, no, it's really, really interesting, that, because um, it, it's, I mean, it, it's such... An interesting sort of way of documenting those uh, hypnagogic thoughts, and you know, be, being able to hear it almost as it's occurring to you. I assume. Um, yeah, that's it. it. I say it as it comes in, but it's like um, if we were to just recount, um, like I read out our dream diary or whatever. Um, it's kind of a bit more raw than that. Yeah, yeah, um, and I, I, I know that because um, I, I obviously keep a dream diary too. But uh, Douglas Bachelor from the What Magic Is This podcast actually recommends voice recording all of his dreams, so that as soon as he wakes up, he sort of rec- you know, clicks on record and then goes for it, like records it all onto his phone. Um, and yeah. the the obvious advantage to that is that dreams evaporate so quickly when you wake up in the morning or well, i find yeah. they do that as i'm writing them i'm forgetting them and um, yeah. it's weird when you because, turn the light on it's yeah so it's, it's even curtains. just the process of engaging with like um sort of uh language in a way kind of because it's like almost a different set of symbols and, and they, they instantly lose something as soon as you try and translate them into um language yeah definitely definitely um and um, I, I always find that I'm in such a rush to write them down in the morning. Like I was going back through my dream, dream diary for, to get some information for this episode and parts of it go back to 2016. Like I did some intense dream diary recording back in 2016 and then I stopped for a few years and then I started again, obviously back in May. And um, <clears throat> when I write them down, my handwriting is so messy because I'm partly lying down and I'm I'm yeah. trying to do it quickly before the dream fades away. It I, it's almost unreadable a lot of it. So some of it is actually being lost in my sort of inefficient process of doing it. And it's complete contrast to because my my routine is I get up in the morning, I'm, I'm the first one up in my house. I yeah, write same. down my dreams, then I come and meditate for 25 minutes, and then I I, I make observations about my meditation in a meditation diary. And my meditation diary after I've Meditate for 25 minutes. My handwriting is crisp and precise. (laughs) Complete contrast to my dreams, which is all like wild and and spidery. Yeah, like pure pure subconscious. It's it's tricky. I mean, I'd love to do the voice recording on my dreams, but um, when you live with someone, you don't want to wake them up by talking about Margot Huntington or... Yeah. whoever it is it's have you um have you had any interesting dreams lately yes yeah, yeah. so so i i was i was going that's one of the reasons i was going back through my my uh dream diary actually was to pick out a dream and i so i keep a dream diary i, I keep a meditation diary i keep an i ching diary an i ching diary i always say it wrong because i always i always like, just see it written down and never 
actually yeah. say to myself is e actually i heard someone say that it was pronounced e shing uh, was yeah, that, that was that, that Dan Lowe on? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Was, but just say it how you want to say it. Yeah, e- like, I Ching. I'm going to stick to I Ching, and and that's I'm yeah. Gonna, yeah, I'm, I'm going to. That's what I wilt. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just do. Um, so the 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 I Ching, and then I also keep a magical diary, um, which I, I write down like experiments that I've done in. I realised today when I was thinking about all this and putting it together for my notes for this podcast. I realized that I don't keep a, a, an actual diary of my life, which seems like an obvious thing, but I need to start doing because um, even though I am a lot of my life is written in these these books, these these four books, um, it's completely without context unless I can see yeah. what I was doing. So I'm going to start doing that as well. I know that seems obvious, but it's only just occurred to me uh, because I've been so keen to keep the other diaries that I haven't been keeping actual diary of, of events in my life. So I'm going to start recording that soon as well. I think even if it's just simple things like, you know, what your diet's like or what your sleep's like or if there's any significant events or stress yeah. or whatever, it just like, it allows you to cross-reference it with... Yeah, or where I've been on a particular day, you know, whether I've been walking yeah. somewhere interesting or, um, you know, whether I, you know, what I've been doing at work and stuff like that to see if it all links together when I come back to look through it. Um, but yeah, so I, um, I, went, I was going back through my dream diary um, and I went back, uh, there was one particular dream that I was um, going to talk about today, which is from mm-hmm. the 6th of May, uh, 2022. So this is going back now, uh, what are we today? The 4th of August. So it's going back yeah. a few months, uh, but it is relevant because for me, th- this was when the vase thing really sort of kicked up a gear um, and and things started to happen. Um Again, you know, like, um, so, well, I'll, I'll just recount the dream as it was. I've, I've typed, I've neatly typed out my dream diaries as well as I could so that I didn't have to read my horrible handwriting. So <clears throat> it happened that I was in London or Manchester or some British city. Um, you know how it is in dreams when you don't yeah. actually know where the place is, but it was some big metropolitan area in Britain. Um, and I was filming for something. Um, like I was on location filming and that's obviously, I, I used to work in television. So I used to, that that is an experience that I've had. And so I, I knew that that's what I was doing. Um, and as, as I was looking around the area, I noticed that the petrol station across the road had these great um, statues and, and tableaus to the God Pan outside them. Um, and that they were made of kind of plastic but with a covering of felt in really kitsch colours, you know, like bright pinks and bright blues. Um, and um, they, they were like very, very detailed um, and they showed him in a forest and they glorified him. And the, one of them was him holding up a goat mask. Um, and I, I was looking for some water. I, I wanted to find some water. And I didn't fancy going into that particular petrol station with all the weird pan stuff outside. So I went into a little souvenir or gift shop nearby. And when I got in there, that shop was full of pan merchandise as well. Of course. And, and Yeah. And there was no water in there. So that was all I wanted. So I went into a supermarket market across the road, like a, a little one, you know, like a, we have in, in the UK, Sainsbury's Locals, um, which are just sort of like a smaller version of a supermarket, but part of a big chain. It had that feel to it. Um, and as I went in, um, 
a huge mob arrived outside and I could see them through the glass windows of the supermarket. And I couldn't tell if this was part of what we were filming or whether it was real. Um, they, all, they were all wait, like had weapons with them as well. And one by one, they started coming through the door. And I shouted at them sort of to put their guns down. And if they didn't, I just shot them in the head as they came through the door. So one by one, if they didn't put their weapons down, I shot them in the head. And the last one came at me, ready for me, like stopped me from shooting him and, and tried to wrestle me uh, to the ground. And I wrestled the gun away from him. And as I was doing that, a stray shot uh, glanced my head and and cut me. Um, and then um, after I'd sort of disposed of that guy, I needed medical attention. And of course, because it was partly being filmed, they had medical people on standby. Yeah. Um, and the only, but the only person available was an eyebrow specialist. But I was like, well, that's fine because it's, it's my head that's been injured. So, so that's close enough. It's handy. Yeah. Um, so, so that, that all worked out well. And as I was leaving the supermarket uh, at the door, Alan Moore walked in. And Alan Moore was wearing a pan T-shirt, <laughs> so like, like uh, it had like um, it was like a cutesy version of Pan, uh, right. you know, like, like like almost like a kids anime, like a Pokemon version of Pan. Um, and um, as soon as I saw that, I walked straight across the road into the Pan petrol station, and I knew inside me that Pan had reclaimed Easter. Wow, that was the end of it. That's yeah, that's. Uh very interesting there's a lot going on there very intense dream um, and it was very very weird because all of that day I think I, first of all I woke up and I had the, the vague memory of it um, and then I went downstairs did some stuff and then it all like started coming back to me yeah. and, and so like I went out and really fleshed out what I'd written in my um, dream diary and then I, I texted you to tell you about it um, I remember and, and all of all of um, that day I didn't feel like I'd woken up you know like I, I felt still yeah. Um, in 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 this sort of like uh, I don't know like like almost like I had continued to dream, um, yeah, and, like a dream hangover. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and um, this is what I think uh, Grant Morrison was talking about in his essay "Pop Magic" when he talks about magical consciousness or something similar to this. Um, and what he says about that is magical consciousness is a particular way of seeing and interacting with the real world. I experience it as what I can only describe as a head click, a feeling of absolute certainty accompanying a perceptual shift, which gives real-world transactions the numinous, uncanny feeling of dreams. That's exactly what I was feeling. Yeah. So, like, I, I kind of, I kind of wondered, 
uh, what, what the streams mean because it had a massive impact on me and I was really concerned in a way because nothing like this had happened to me for years and years and it was very intense and it was centered around Pan of course as well which was kind of weird and I felt a little bit unprepared for this so that that night when I got home I um I, I made like a um a witch bottle like a protection bottle from um, some herbs and some um wine and some pins and and I did some chanting and stuff as a way because it's not just me who lives in this house you know I have other people and I thought like if I brought something yeah. in with me I, I need to do something that will protect the house and that was the, the the most obvious way I could find to do it um not being that familiar with any rituals uh yet and 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 sort of I, I didn't really feel that Grant Morrison's idea of just imagining a circle of energy around you or whatever w- w- was was really powerful enough um so I I don't want to to so, so say I know exactly what it means, but I've had some ideas about what I think it could mean. So I'm okay. going to run this past you. This isn't something we've discussed yet. So I'll, I'll, yeah. run, I'll run these ideas past you bit by bit. So my best guess about what I think is that, um, so there was at the time, I think, back in May, some kind of doubt or, or hidden realization in my mind about the uh, nature of reality being flexible. Okay, and I think that that's uh, so. Things are both real and not real. Uh, people playing a part, but we don't know who or when. And I think that's the idea of it being of the filming. And I couldn't tell what yeah. was real and what wasn't. You know, there's obviously duality to reality there, and there's something underneath. Um, and um, and I think that at the time in in the dream, there was that feeling because I went to the petrol station where there was the tableaus, and I went across to the merchandise uh, or, or the gift shop. And, and in there, there was, um, pan merchandise and all, and I rejected both of them. All, all I wanted was water. Um, and I think at that point back in May, there was some sort of, um, um, you know, uh, reluctance of me to embrace the, the, this, uh, you know, these occult ideas and stuff, because all I wanted was water, you know, something very mundane and pure. everyday, pure, but, uh, you know, like essential to life, you know. So I was in, in some way prioritizing the, the everyday mundane, mundanity of life over these ideas and, and, and all this information that was coming to me. Um, so, so that was some sort of reluctance to embrace Pan. Uh, now, why Pan? I think it was because, um, you know, at that time, we'd been talking a lot about Pan, hadn't we? Um, yeah, and, it was kind of a bit of a meme, wasn't it? Yeah, to us, like it was all. Yeah, I mean, we had it like kind of a running joke, like because because we'd listened to Penny Royal and watched Hellier, and Pan is obviously a big part of that. We, we'd started for shorthand for weird stuff. We'd text each yeah. other like the goat emoji or something, you know, as in like, oh, Pan's definitely here. Pan's doing this. Pan's doing that. So yeah. we had in some way concentrated our thoughts onto pan and like a little mini egregore kind of yeah and, and it's also something exactly yeah and it's also something that grant morrison dis- discusses in that essay i, I know it, it yeah. sounds it sounds to, to listeners perhaps like i've only ever read one thing about magic and that's pop magic but the, the reason that i'm thinking about that is that i noticed it when i went to look through the essay for that uh, magical consciousness quote i noticed that he'd said that uh, t- to sort of get in touch with a god you have to concentrate them on them to the exclusion of all others and that yeah. i think is something that we were sort of doing in a way yeah in a kind of jokey way i think because we've we've kind of always done that haven't we with 
for the last 30 years like we find something that we not necessarily find funny but that we have some kind of weird fascination with and then kind of just go on about it for ages and it kind of yeah and i'd been looking through our messages from around that time um as, as part of this and i'd um i noticed that we were just constantly texting each other pictures of images of pan as well so it was like when we see a goat and stuff yeah and, and, and just and just like oh this is a good one and a picture of pan you know from one yeah. person to the other and stuff um you know what's he doing here and then like, yeah. I, I send you a little gif of pan playing pan pipes and stuff yeah so yeah. We, we've definitely given a lot of focus to pan so it's not that uh surprising that he turned up really in a dream um, yeah yeah and and so i think he was symbolic both in my dream but to us at the time of the entire spirit world i don't i don't know how fluent i was with the idea of spirits at that point because like i was saying you know time's quite condensed at the moment because we're researching so much and we're absolute beginners so everything we learn we learn so much it increases exponentially almost because we're sort of putting information on top of information but at that time i think that perhaps pan was symbolic of all spirits to me in some way so so and almost symbolic of vase as well exactly in yeah in terms of you know the the unknown and what have you yes so um then also within that dream was the extreme act um in my dream that, that was the slaughter of the people who wouldn't lay down their weapons yeah um and and for people who are listening, I'm extremely non-violent in real life. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> guns are, I don't have a fascination with guns or anything like that or any sort of violence. I don't particularly like seek out violent films or violent TV shows or anything. It's not really in my nature. Um, so to me, something like that to be doing in my dream is something very extreme. Um, you know, I've, I've, I think I've written here in my notes that it was an extreme act uh, done done in its totality. So even though I'm I'm not you know a person who likes guns or violence, it does speak in some way to some aspect of my personality. And I think that is the extreme act done to its totality. You know, in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so so um, th- there was an obvious reluctance to me in killing these people, but I went through with it to the end. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm not actually going to kill anyone. I just want people to be be assured <laughs> of that. Um, do you have any ideas about that or, or what, what that bit could have meant? I don't know. I mean, my thoughts about the whole thing um, were that there was something in the artificiality of the pan figure as well, in terms of um, that he, that there was these kind of almost kind of, like you said, kind of chintzy, kind of cheesy kind of souvenir shops and stuff like that. And maybe you wanted something more than that that wasn't just surface level tat yeah and that's interesting uh because there's an obvious parallel there so pan doesn't actually turn up in that dream that's that's something that's weird isn't it it's all like you say it's all offerings and statues to him until the very very end uh, when he doesn't actually turn up but he's done something he's reclaimed easter in that case yeah now there's there's an obvious parallel here to the worship and the statues then the sacrifice you know, because obviously people are dying, and then and then I go back and find that Pan has reclaimed Easter. So there's some sort of parallel there to the idea of of sacrifice in in order to as an offering or some sort of um, 
you're summoning maybe. But then also the, the idea of the mobs coming and, and my violent reaction to that could be an idea of a sudden violent rejection of mob rule, in this case being the consensus reality. Yeah. Um, so that was my idea on that. And then I had a slight injury to my head and I wondered if that was to do with the mind, you know, uh, you know, like a, a slight sort of something happens to the mind, but it's easily, it's easily fixed, but it causes a shift, you know, which is again, that, you know, like extreme, extreme form of changing my mind, you know, to yeah, be shot, yeah. to be shot in the head. <laughs> I suppose it is all, it's all the language of symbols, isn't it? In a way. So yeah. And then, and then after that, Alan Moore arrives, that's obviously the wizard has arrived, you know, enter the wizard. Yeah. Um, and, and what does he say? He says nothing, but he's wearing a pan t-shirt. Um, so then I go straight back and Pan has reclaimed Easter. What does that mean? Well, my idea is I was born on Easter Monday. So there's that obvious thing, you know, that Pan has reclaimed yeah. the child of Easter or something. You were born on Christmas Day as well, weren't you? So we've yep. got Christmas covered. We've got Easter we've got covered. Heavily, we're, heavily magical connotations in our birth. We claim yeah. those religious Christian festivals for the pagans. Um. So was this an idea that Pan has reclaimed me for himself? That's interesting. Yeah, so that was my interpretation. That was my my very like uneducated attempt at dream interpretation. Um Well I think you the thing is you understand it through your lens, don't you? So your interpretation is just as relevant as someone who doesn't know you but knows about dreams. Because they might say, you know, oh, Pan represents the devil or Pan represents goats or the earth or something like that. But they don't know you. They don't know your context. And it's something that's in your head. You know, it's your dream language. It's not theirs. So, yeah. So, so uh, yeah. And, and I think that as well, that dream held a lot of significance to me in terms of it didn't fade away like dreams often do. You know, I remembered it. Um, I had that weird feeling for at least a day afterwards, like you said, the dream hangover, too much to dream last night. So what relevance does this have to the real world? Because it's only a dream, right? Um, but no, because... But is it? Because, is it, exactly. Because a month and a half later, I had a very unusual experience in the woods near to my house. Um, so this was the 21st of June, 2022. I've copied a lot of this directly out of my magic journal where I, I, um, I I'd made some detailed notes about it after it had happened. Um, and I'd, I'd been joking again with Buckley about, um, these, so it was the 21st of June, that's the solstice. And I was joking about that being Pan's day, you know, the festival of Pan. And I'd been sending again, I'd been sending, uh, images of Pan to Buckley. <laughs> and, yeah, and, I can, I, I can confirm this. Yeah. Um, 
And basically, uh, I, I was really tired at that time. I, I'd been having like a rough time of it at work and just with the world and everything. And it was a really nice evening. And in the north of England, where we're based, around that time in June, around the solstice, it stays light very, very late, um, at least until sort of 10, 11 o'clock. And sometimes it doesn't really properly go dark. It just sort of goes like a deeper blue and then comes <laughs> back. And and it was a really nice evening. So I'd, I'd um, after I'd done all my usual evening routine and so on, I decided that I would go for a walk in the woods. And I, I was going to do that. I was going to destroy a sigil whilst I was in the woods, a sigil that I charged earlier that night. Um, so I went down to the woods. I was on my own. I didn't even have the dog with me. And I had a sigil in my hand and a, a lighter in my pocket. And the woods were completely empty, which is unusual for the, for those woods because it's a popular dog walking spot and there's there's a lot of houses around the edges of the woods. So you usually see lots of people there, but it was completely empty. I didn't see another person the whole walk. It was quite late. It must have been about half nine or ten at night by that point, but it was still light and the sun was just going down. So I, I walked through the woods uh, on my usual route, um, but it, it felt like, I don't know, I mean, I felt like I was in a slightly sort of heightened state as I walked through. I think it was just the conditions and everything felt really nice. Everything smelled really nice. Everything looked really nice. And as I emerged from the woods into a clearing, um, I, I could see the sun setting over a field. So I stopped to watch the sunset, just the last of it disappeared behind the horizon. And it, as it shone through the saplings that were part of the hedgerow in front of this field, I could see them like weaving in the breeze and forming like patterns and sigils in front of my eyes. It was really, I, it, it felt like a slightly altered state. It was very unusual and it was very, very serene the sun going down and just this, this beautiful surroundings. And I felt this enormous sense of gratitude so keenly that the hairs on my arms stood on end. You know, it was a, it was a full body sensation. So I, I stood with that until I felt like I'd got the most out of that sensation. And then I carried on walking through the clearing on a path towards the canal as I did it, as I walked, rabbits were gathering in, in, on the path. And as I walked, they parted to either side, you know, some running into the hedges and some running into the forest or the woods. Um, and, and that felt really nice as well. It felt really significant. And then as, they were, as the rabbits parted, there was, there was 10, 20, maybe 30 rabbits. They were just everywhere. I felt 100% sure all of a sudden it just hit me that I was in the presence of Pan. Like it, it was very, very clear that it sounds like a throwaway comment or a metaphor or something, but that's not what it was. Like that, that was that wasn't what was going in my head. Like, oh, you know, this feels a bit like Pan might be here. I was in the presence of Pan, hundred percent, and that's all there was to it. So I, as I walked down, I got to the end of the path where it curves off to meet the banks of the canal. There was one rabbit that didn't move out the way. So I stopped and just stood at it and we looked eye to eye for minutes. It didn't move. It wasn't frightened. We just stood eye to eye 
and I stepped closer to it and it still didn't move. And then as I watched it, the whole patch of grass that the rabbit was on started to shimmer and like vibrate. So it felt like the sensation that I get and the things that I see when I'm charging sigil through hyperventilation, like things were sparkling and moving and like blades of grass were were completely bending and, and just, it was very, very odd, difficult to describe. And then the shimmering took the rabbit. So the rabbit became shimmering as well, like the grass was. And so you couldn't, it was like the rabbit was phasing in and out. And, and that gave me a feeling like everything was made of the same stuff, the same weird shimmering energy and light. Um, and as, as I was standing there, I thought to myself, to this rabbit, I am Pan, which is an odd thing to think, but that, that's where I was with it at the time. Um, and then again, that sensation passed and the rabbit moved and then it walked away and I made my way down to the canal and by that point it was dusk the sun had gone behind the horizon and there was there was still no one around so I knelt down by the canal I set fire to my sigil and I let the ashes fall into the canal and um and then I I was still feeling very serene and I decided that I would walk through the long grass back to the woods and then home so as I was walking through the long grass I suddenly heard this really loud guttural screaming um, it wasn't quite human and it wasn't quite animal. So if it was human, it was a very animal human. And if it was animal, it was a very human animal. And it was like, I don't know, like, like I, I couldn't tell if it was like agony or whether it was ecstasy. It seemed to be at first delocalized. So I thought it was coming from this huge tree that stood between me and, and the woods, the wood line. So I sort of slowly approached the tree, but there was no one there. Like I looked around all around it. It was quite a large tree and there was nothing there. And then it started happening again, loud, the screaming coming from the woods. And then I felt like I started to panic. I I felt nervous and and worried. So I decided not to walk through the, the woods at all on the way home. I diverted and walked along the towpath on the canal. And then as I crossed the canal, got to the other side, headed down the towpath, everything became serene again and bats started swooping down over the water to eat the insects that were gathering and I was completely calm again. And that was was it really, that was it. Then then I I went home and by the time I got home it was dark and and I felt when I got home that something significant had happened. and I, I wrote it all down in, in as much detail as, as I could remember, which is basically what I've recounted to you there. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite a spooky story, really. Like the that kind of that kind of sound. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I context. Won- yeah, I I wondered at first. Like my my first thought is is that there was someone in the woods trying to scare me, and then and then. It didn't feel like that because of the, the way it was repeating and the, and, and the frequency of it. I then wondered if there was someone like fucking in the woods, but then I could only hear one voice. I mean, I mean you know, that, that doesn't mean that there wasn't. Um, yeah. Or fighting was, the, was my other thought. Maybe it was someone fighting or, or animals fighting at first, but it was too, the, the vocal quality was too human, I think, for it to be two animals fighting. 
Uh, and plus, I mean, there's nothing really bigger than a, a cat or a dog in those woods anyway. So that there, there wouldn't be, you know, like, I mean, the most unusual thing I think I've seen around the area is a mink or something. So there's nothing big enough to make the sort of noises that I was talking about. And and so then the next day, st- still sort of full of the ideas of this experience, I did some a little bit of research into this sort of phenomena. And I think I sent you an article, didn't I, that talked about yeah yeah the the the, the noises um, that, that that Pan allegedly makes uh, the, the 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 screaming to 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 um, instill panic yeah. into people, and even there's other stories of of using noises to lure people back into the woods. So in the end, I was quite glad that I never went back into those woods. Um, and and that that gave it some extra experience because I hadn't encountered that idea beforehand. You know, so it wasn't like I'd gone to the woods expecting some screaming or shouting or hollering to panic me. That happened, yeah. and then I then I looked up that phenomenon and found that it was associated with pan. It reminds me of. I'm not saying this is what it is because obviously it was low and guttural, but you know when you hear um, cats in heat and they make that weird sound that sounds almost human. Yeah, yeah. It, whenever I hear it, it because it's always at night and I can hear it outside the window of my studio and it just like really chills me. It just makes me feel really weird because even though I know it's cats, it sounds slightly human and it just gives you that same feeling of like a crying baby in the wrong place and yeah. stuff like that. And it's like, it reminds me of that. It's almost like a kind of uncanny valley, but an audio uncanny valley. Yeah, that was like exactly it. I, I, I couldn't work it out valley. at all. It was that sort of uncanny feeling of what is it I'm hearing? And it never spoke, you know, it never shouted a word. Uh, yeah. you know, like if, if I, I guess if someone was going to attack me or try to scare me off, they might shout something. Yeah. But, but there was nothing like that. And, and so I was thinking like, so if it was someone fighting or if it was someone fucking on the solstice in the woods, my, my, my thought is that that even that is the work of Pan, you know, the, the, these, extreme human emotions yeah, or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, that comes back to something that we've discussed recently about how a lot of this phenomena, I, I think, is some sort of organisation of mundane processes or events into something which forms a completeness or a sort of holistic um gestalt i suppose uh, yeah, that, that yeah. forms a, a phenomena and that's what i really felt like like i felt like even if there was a man in there just shouting at me this weird guttural scream that was an action of pan that enough is pretty spooky yeah as it is so so that's it and and i i do realize that sounds very odd or that sounds very odd but that is no <laughs> that is my experience start to finish and i haven't embellished that um, other than to put my theories in at the end there. The, the actual recounting of the story was as it occurred on, on that um, 21st of June. That's what I've been up to, Buckley. What about you? 
I actually haven't done anything more as in magical experimentation since then because I've been having some weird kind of spooky, intense readings from the I Ching recently, which have discouraged me from doing practical magic. And I think that we're going to go into some more detail on that and the I Ching in general in either another episode or perhaps some bonus content that we'll release in some other way, uh, which will be a deep dive into the I Ching and its process. Yeah. Um, I've done a, a couple of itching readings and um they've been they've been fairly interesting and hopefully they've been helpful. I I've I'm yet to I'm yet to see them kind of work out or whatever. Um I've done a couple more sigils. So that the one that's the most interesting, the experience that's the most interesting that I'm I guess I'll tell now, um relates to a sigil and then some unusual things that happened. Um it seemed at the time, similar to your pan experience, I guess, it seemed like, wow, this is tremendously relevant. Um, but as I read it out, I might just sound like a person who's unwell. Um, <laughs> you, but, both things can be true. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> uh, I, um, I, 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 Should we very, very quickly um, explain um, for, for, for people who might just have come in at this episode that sigils are a form of a, a, a basic tenant of chaos magic whereby you create a symbol which symbolizes an intention yeah and um and, and that's what buckley's talking about here so um i'm a musician an electronic musician and you will hear my music or some of it in between the segments of this show anyway i um i had a, a few weeks ago i had a, a gig in london and it's probably you know the the most uh the biggest gig the biggest deal of a gig that i've done to date or, or at least one of them and um it was supporting uh a group called the transcendence orchestra we'll link in the show notes uh the transcendence orchestra are two or three depending on the lineup uh guys who make this incredible music that's kind of like they describe it as psychoactive music um and that is certainly the case it's like very drony sort of if you experience it live it's just it goes through your entire body and it's um it's just incredible it's it's really great and um you know they're a, a band that i've been into for a while and you know i'm very very into them and the opportunity to support them was an absolute dream um so i was really looking forward to this this gig and it was down in london um which is quite a long way away from where I live. Um, so it was a, it was a pretty big deal and I was getting pretty sort of worked up about it. And, uh, so I did a sigil just, I don't remember the exact wording, but it was something along the lines of my gig in London will be successful. Uh, I kept it fairly vague. My sort of, um, idea behind it was the two things that worried me were I'd get COVID the day before and I wouldn't be able to play or, um, I'll have some kind of monumental fuck up, like forgetting a plug or something or forgetting a wire and I'd have to cancel the gig and not play. And uh, I just kind of wanted that extra bit of security. So I thought I'd turn to chaos magic to <laughs> ensure that happened. Uh, so the, the the terminology I used was that the gig would be successful. So um, uh, the day before, a couple of days before, I was in um, Brighton with my partner, which is near London, uh, and we were there on holiday and then I was going to get the the train up to the gig. Um, 
And I was texting Hein here um, whilst my partner was like getting cash out or something. Um, and we were talking about heroin for whatever reason. And I used the phrase heroin is just so passe, which as Hein knows, is a line from uh, a song by the Dandy Warhols about the far superior, in my opinion, band, the Brian Jonestown Massacre. Now, the second I sent this message saying heroin is just so passe, I looked up and there was a guy sat opposite me in the pub wearing a a Dandy Warhols t-shirt. So I was like, ooh, spooky. So anyway, the next day, with that in mind, I I turn up to the venue. The gig gets really hot. I've got all my equipment. And uh, I get into the venue and... uh, they're playing as I walk in. There's a little cafe downstairs. And as I walk in, the cafe is playing An Enemy by Brian Jonestown Massacre, which is my favorite Brian Jonestown Massacre song. It's a great song. It is an amazing song. And uh, one of the reasons I really love that song is because it reminds me of um, a band or specifically the solo work. Um, this band I loved in like back in the 90s when I was a teenager and uh, early 20s. and um, so it reminds me of their singer. We'll call him DRP for the, the sake of privacy. It reminds me of their singer's solo material. It's got a similar vibe to it. And, and I think that the reason I love An Enemy is because it reminds me of DRP's solo work. Anyway, before the gig, I've all sound checked. Everything's going great. And um, maybe like half an hour, an hour before I come to play, uh, DRP walks in. Like the, the, the singer and bassist from one of my favorite bands from when I was a teenager. Um, which is pretty insane. And I, I, I mean, I have met him before and like we've, we've spoken like maybe 15 years ago. I had no idea he, he still knew who I was or anything like that. But yeah, he came to the gig, which is, which was pretty sort of mind blowing to me really. And also not great for my stage nerves, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so he turned up and I thought like, oh wow. And it's because of the Brian Jonestown Masker song reminds me of his stuff and then he turns up and uh, so yeah I was pretty excited about that anyway I play the gig uh, it went well I didn't fuck up I was really pleased with how it went um, after the gig I go outside uh, and I'm absolutely like filled with adrenaline at the moment and I've just played a gig in front of like a bunch of musicians that I really love uh, including one from that I first got into like in 1997 or something and uh Another musician that I really love, that's a more recent love, um, we'll call him JH. He's there as well. So JH taps me on the shoulder and starts talking to me uh, and saying that he really loved my set and stuff like that. So at, the, at this point, I'm completely over the moon. You know, it's like the, and I guess like thinking about it, one of the things that sort of defines success for me more so than kind of money or, you know, anything like that is getting some kind of recognition from uh someone that i admire very much like to me that means an awful lot and having these two musicians who you know have been you know important parts of my life uh kind of do that to me was it just felt really strange and surreal um it gets weirder though. This isn't the weird stuff. This is just the exciting stuff. So if you can That's imagine, nice though. it's nice. Yeah. At this point, I'm absolutely just, you know, my adrenaline and excitement is through the roof. I mean, here it feels like your your sigil has has worked already, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And and um, 
I, I bear in mind at this point that, that there'd been no um or at any point in the evening there was no like drugs or alcohol consumed by me anyway so that this isn't a sort of state that i've got into artificially this is just pure like excitement and elation and stuff so um there is a this a lot of this happened in a very brief window of time sort of 15 minutes between me finishing my set and the transcendence orchestra playing so I go to I go back upstairs to watch the Transcendence Orchestra and uh, it was a very, very, very hot day. That really hot day we had back at the end of July. One of them very hot days we had. And the venue's really starting to warm up now. There's a lot more people in there. And um, at the, uh, in the venue they had um, like yoga mats on the floor and people were encouraged to lie down because that is great for the Transcendence Orchestra. They play for a long time and the music is intense. And uh, so they start playing. And uh, so I, I I sit there for a bit, and then I I, I uh, after about sort of twenty minutes, half an hour, I lie down, um, and I can feel the music kind of going through me, and I, my adrenaline is still really high. It's really hot. After about forty five minutes, which is about halfway through the set, I um, I start to sort of feel like I'm floating, and like at that point, it really hits me. At that point, it feels like. I get this now. This is exactly like I've listened to them so many times on, on, you know, on headphones, but actually hearing it live, I've truly understood exactly where they were coming from. Cause I could feel the bass and the volume of the drones just going through my entire body. And it felt amazing. It felt like it was just the greatest feeling combined with what had already happened to me that evening. Um, and I started to feel like I was floating. I started to feel like I was leaving my body. And, uh, you know, the, obviously the heat and the adrenaline was combined and it was like I was floating and it just felt incredible. And then I got one of the old uh, hypnagogic voices again in my head as I was drifting up, which said, can't you just sit? So I kind of came awake a little bit at that point and I, uh, I made a note of it, can't you just sit? And I sat up. And uh, as I sat up, I noticed that um, there was a woman at the front of the stage who'd been sat at the front and uh, she stood up and she was holding this like red thing and it turned out it was a red balloon and she's kind of walking around where the Transcendence Orchestra are performing and then she, and I didn't know whether this was part of the performance or whether she was just like really into it and she starts inflating this balloon and it becomes apparent it's a balloon and it's a heart-shaped balloon this bright red heart-shaped balloon and she's inflating it and inflating it and then she stops for a while walks around for a bit and 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 then she got, carries on inflating it and it's getting really big by this point like it's a big big balloon uh, and she keeps going and keeps going the music's like rising in intensity and eventually it bursts and i think it makes quite a lot of people jump and then you know, the, the gig carried on for a little while after that but eventually the transcendence orchestra finished and uh, she'd sat down by that point so that was particularly relevant to me because as a child, I'm sure you'll remember this, Hein, I had a massive phobia of balloons. Yeah. And specifically, it was the idea of someone else inflating a balloon and inflating it to the point where it bursts. And that was a huge phobia to me. And I was terrified of it. I couldn't go to kids' birthday parties. Um, and it was like just the idea of someone else having control over when I would be surprised by this burst and watching the the, the burst happen and watching the sorry the, the 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 expansion and not knowing when it was going to go off. 
and uh, I, I had this like awful phobia of it and that scenario of someone else being in control of that and watching someone else expand a balloon until it burst which would have been my biggest fear age 11 or 12 um, or younger um, just but seeing that happen seeing that play out in a situation where I felt incredible you know where I felt on top of the world where I I'd, I'd, I had this amazing music coursing through my body I'd, I'd had praise from musicians who I've loved for years even decades and to see this thing that used to be my biggest fear happen at that time was just, it just felt massively significant in some way. Um, and, you know, whether it was to do with facing uncertainty or, and the fact that I was encouraged to sit up by the hypnagogic voice beforehand. And, and, and there's a whole, you know, there's a whole load of things that, that kind of come together with that. So, um, and it, yeah, it just felt incredible. It was an incredible experience. I'm still processing it. I'm still trying to work out kind of what it meant, but it felt incredibly relevant. And so there's a nice little kind of epilogue on this. Um, when I got home a couple of days later, uh, I found out that on the same day that this was happening in London, I'd received two parcels and that it, well, two parcels had attempted to be delivered on that day. Uh, so I arranged for them to be re-delivered. And when they arrived uh, a couple of days later, one of them was a copy of a magazine which had an article about a band called Nod in it, G-N-O-D. And Paddy from Nod is one of the three members of the Transcendence Orchestra. So Paddy from Nod was on that stage on the same day I received this magazine with an article about him in. Uh, and the other... <laughs> The other thing was, the other parcel was a record which I'd ordered months ago from a member of Nod, another member of Nod. Uh, so all this happened on this Saturday. So, and 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 I guess the final thing, uh, Nod recorded an album uh, a year or two ago called Chapel Perilous. And Chapel Perilous is the phrase coined by Robert Anton Wilson in uh, Cosmic Trigger, which I'd just finished reading like that weekend, uh, which describes being in a personal period of high strangeness and synchronicity storms, etc. So all of that coming together, it just blew my mind. And I, like I say, I still kind of don't know what to make of it. I'm still kind of trying to interpret it, but whether the sigil kind of made it so that what happened was not just that I managed to get through the gig without breaking anything or getting COVID. Maybe it kind of expanded things into a slightly more magical space and made these things happen in a way that was not particularly uh, amazing on the outside, but to me felt incredibly relevant. And it just, it really energized me and it really made me feel incredible. And uh, yeah, I, I hope you all enjoyed that that story. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I I um I like what you were saying about how the sigil may have done a bit more than just your literal intention of success as in I, I'm guessing that when you wrote that that you were limiting the field of what you considered success to be at that point to be performing well at your at your to be happy with it basically. Yeah. yeah. For, 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 of your set 
there, you know, um, in, in um, at, at the gig. Um, and, and perhaps you got more that, that the whole evening was a success in, in lots of different ways. Yeah. And, um, and, and it seems that there were a lot of secret synchronicities going on. And I like the idea. I can't remember where I've read it, but I've read it a few times by a few different people, particularly in relation to chaos magic, that synchronicities are the way in which magic expresses itself and works in a way through the world, yeah. you know, that, that through, through meaningful coincidence, magic, the effects of magic can be felt. And that seemed to be what's happening to you that night. Yeah, I mean, it all felt incredible. I mean, meaningful is the best way to describe it. And it, it, I've heard synchronicities, you know, p- people say that often it's similar to a dream. When you try and explain it to someone else, it sounds like bollocks. But what matters is that it mattered to you and that it felt relevant to you at the time and gave you that feeling. And on that Saturday, I experienced that feeling. Um, and interesting as well that your experience that night um, and and my the the story that I told earlier about the pan thing in the woods both felt like peak experiences. Peak you know, is a great way to describe it. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, I think that's something else that we need to like pay attention to when when we get that sort of peak experience because neither of us do any sort of psychotropic drugs, do we, or anything like that. And and um, I mean, I haven't even had a drink for ten years, so it's like. The, 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 there was, and uh, I don't think you were drinking that night, where you were sitting before all. your set. No, yeah. no, no, I didn't drink at all. Yes, yeah, so so, so all, all of this sort of altered state came through. Uh, you know, maybe, um, you know, well, I don't know what it came from, but it it seems to be. I mean, obviously, you were you were moved by the music as well, and and I was moved by the the beauty of the natural surroundings and stuff, and it elevated our state in both in both counts, which is really. Cool. Yeah, I mean, at our age, you've got to take the peaks where you can get them. You know? <laughs> yeah, and yeah, another yeah, interesting thing to point out, which is not relevant, but I'm just showing off, is that um, snooker player Steve Davis was also there and complimented me on my set. So, if that isn't magic, I don't know what is. Exactly, it's a kind of magic. So as I spoke about earlier, I've not been doing any practical magic at all for the last couple of months, really, because the I Ching's got me grounded. I'm, I'm being one blocked, mm-hmm. um, and I it's encouraged me to the way it's saying it is it's encouraged me to prepare 
So I don't get the feeling that it, it's saying don't do practical magic at all. It's always saying things like waiting or proceed cautiously. And it has a big part of it is saying prepare. And it's been very, very explicit that that the waiting doesn't mean do nothing. It means prepare. So I've been trying to do a lot of reading um, and um, I've been reading um, Occult Experiments in the Home by Barford. Uh, I've, I've bought some young. I'm going to dive into some young soon. And one of the things that I thought of doing for Vase was to start a list, and I just did it very casually on my phone, of all the paranormal or unexplained experiences that I've had in my life from as early as I can remember. And I've started doing this, and perhaps we can use this for something else as well, but um, I'm just going to talk about the relevant bits tonight which is a significant portion. I've got. It's not as if weird things are constantly happening to me, but I'm just, I'm not going to recount the full thing because that would be boring, but there was some interesting synchronicities that I had. Or coincidences, if 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 uh, you, you don't want to give them the meaning. But um, basically, I, I'd started to write down very casually this list. And as I'd been doing so, I'd also been starting like a heavy listening session of the Spirit Box podcast with Dara Mason, which I, I can't recommend enough and I'll link in the show notes. Uh, it's a really good podcast. It's really, it's really the way he asks questions and the way he talks is very uh, open and sensitive yeah, to... Yeah, great. Yeah, it's, it's a very, very good one. And um, one of the first episodes that I started with on that was an episode with Aidan Wachter, from a few years ago when he was talking about, I think it was, he was mainly talking about Six Ways, which is his book. And again, I'll link in the show notes. And he was just before the release of Weaving Fate, which I'll also link to. And he, I was so into this. I listened to that episode and then I listened to two more that he'd been on and I was really into them. And I thought, wow, this alone is enough for me to want to become a patron. A patron. So I went on Patreon and um, became a member. And then I went back and got the extra bits from those episodes. And one of the things that he talked about was when he was a kid, um, he had a dream with an appearance by a guy wearing all black. And it was very significant to him. And uh, I'll, I'll link to that specific episode because one of the main things that was on my list of things that I'd experienced when I was younger was a vision of a man all dressed in black. And it wasn't something that I thought about for years until earlier that week when I'd started making that list. And so it was so odd that Wachter had mentioned this particular incident from when he was a kid. And it, I mean, it must have been more than 30 years ago. I, I must have been seven or eight years old. And I lived in a house and it was a new build house. So it was all like very new um, in Preston uh, or close to Preston in Lancashire in a suburb of Preston. Um, and 
as a kid, I, I was really into the idea of, you know, ghosts and UFOs and monsters, as we've discussed many, you know, many times. And I, and I saw, I don't know how else to sort of frame this, but I used to see this dark figure upstairs in this house. And as a kid, this really confused me because I, I didn't understand the idea of, sort of spirits or ultra terrestrials. I just thought like ghosts were apparitions of dead people. So I used to think, like, how can my house be haunted if it's brand new and it, there used to be a field in this spot? But so the idea of it being a field made no sense either because the figure that I saw was well-dressed. He was in a suit, he had a hat on, he had a cane, like a walking stick. It, it was very, very bizarre and it made no sense to me as a kid. So I, I guess I used to dismiss it. And I saw it maybe a handful of times and each time I'd run, you know, I, I I wouldn't engage with it. I wouldn't in any way. I'd just run, you know. So I'd run downstairs. I'd run to my room. I'd run away from it. Um, and what really got me was then af- after the episode with Wachter talking about the the Dark Man, D- Dara Mason did a few episodes about the Dark Man, the the, 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 the idea of the Dark Man and its significance in paranormal or accounts of paranormal experiences for hundreds of years uh, particularly in Ireland I think he was translating some stories from Gaelic um, and then later on he did a few episodes of people recounting their experiences with the dark man and one of them which is episode 91 uh, with the guest is Jessica Mitchell and I will link to this um, after she'd recounted her experience, which is a really good, vivid account of a dark man experience, uh, I think it was at Glastonbury Tour, the first question he asked her was, was this figure three-dimensional or was it flat? And that really made me set, sit up and pay attention because one of the reasons that I'd been in my head umming and ahhing about even talking about this on Vase podcast at all was because... One of the very odd features of the apparition that I used to see was that it, it looked like it was two-dimensional. That's creepy. Yeah, like a shadow or, or a silhouette. As if it turned to one side, it would disappear you know, or, or become a line. You know, It, it was very, very odd. Um, and, and so I thought, well, she's going to say it was three-dimensional because in her account, she'd spoken to this figure and all the rest of it, and it had a voice... Uh, whereas I, I never spoke to the apparition that I saw. And she said it was flat. Very, very weird. And the other thing that about it was that, obviously, and I probably should have said this sooner, when when, when the, the idea of, of the dark man isn't that it's a person with dark skin, like with some of those accounts from the... Um, ultra-terrestrial hypothesis episode that we did where there's that feeling that it's something other in that respect i'm talking about absolutely like blacker than black as in that's not the color of it's the absence of light yeah you know like it's total darkness and that's what i used to see like no features just just total darkness in that space like a shadow or a silhouette like i've said Except the weird thing is that I knew things about it. Like I knew he was wearing a suit, uh, wearing a hat and that sort of thing. 
so I, I mean, I, again, that that's that's a weird thing that made me wonder whether I should talk about this because it sounds odd. Like, how do you know what he's wearing if if the blackness is so thick that it's complete nothingness? Um, and 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 that was the other point that made me reluctant to tell the story was was that it was so odd the way that this thing was dressed. It was always dressed the same in a suit very very smart a hat that looked like a bowler hat or something mm. and and a cane a walking stick which occasionally the figure spun in like a jaunty motion like over the back <laughs> of his hand like he was twirling it like very very odd and and that made me think that that made me reluctant to to tell this story yeah uh, and then in, in episode 100 of spirit box uh, Shirley h porter um, who's who's a a uh, a witch and a practitioner recounts that she has a very close relationship with a dark man figure, and she says he most often appears to her in a suit wearing a hat. So, like at this point, I was thinking like this is very very odd because all this stuff is stuff that I I, I hadn't thought. I thought it was a bug rather than a feature. You know, I thought yeah, what what is this weird stuff like? This makes it less believable, but actually yeah. It- None of this makes sense. Yeah, but it does tie in with with the experiences already. So, I I I I thought about other things that happened in that house. Although I've come to think, which is what you'd said when I told you some of this, that I I think it probably wasn't to do with the house itself. Is in the house was haunted. Um, I think I think there's probably something else going on there. Although I wouldn't like to say what, but when um. A little bit later on, like um, maybe a year or two after I first saw this apparition, my mum's cousin came to visit and he had his girlfriend with him. And I'll change her name. Um, I'll call her Lisa. So um, he had his girlfriend Lisa with her with him and she was into new age and occult type stuff. She was into crystals and divination and all that sort of thing. I mean, I was really young at this point, you know, like nine or 10. And so they came around um, and they had like a bit of a dinner party and the kids weren't invited. So we went off to the grandparents' house to give them some peace and quiet. And the next day when I was talking to my mum, my mum said this really weird experience. You know, she said that whilst they were eating, Lisa had suddenly stopped eating and said, I don't know how to tell you this, but I can feel this dark presence in your house and she like put her head in her hands and she felt it really intensely and and then she i, I think she made some you know, comment about whether we get rid of it or whatever it was very very odd um and my mum doesn't believe that stuff you <laughs> know she yeah. wouldn't make that up she, she and, and she wouldn't want to encourage because i was into ghosts and all that stuff i don't think she would have wanted to encourage me there's no reason no. for her to make that up there was no reason for lisa to make that up so that's an odd thing. And then the, the final thing in, that happened whilst I was living at that house was that when I was a little bit older in my teens, when I was about 16, I had meningitis and that had been misdiagnosed as food poisoning. And so I didn't really know sort of how poorly I was. Um, and then whilst sort of in my bed at home, um, I, I effectively sort of slipped into a coma. Before that happened, and, and again, like at this point, I didn't know how ill I was or anything. I thought that I just had a bad case of food poisoning or something. 
I woke up in the, in, in the early morning and my room was full of apparitions like and and I, I I don't know whether that dark figure was there or not because there were so many that were there and some I recognized and some I didn't and the very strong feeling that I had as I saw these figures gathered around my bed was that they were my family you know and at that time I was a good Catholic boy Again, yeah. I didn't know how ill I was. I, I didn't know anything about ancestor veneration or the idea that it doesn't really come into Catholicism, the idea of your ancestors visiting you or interacting you in, in any way after they're gone, really. Um, not, not in a big way, not as, as, as parts of other cultures. So yeah. I had no idea about that sort of thing. But I knew strongly, and some of them were ones that I didn't recognize. Some were ones that were dead, and some were ones that were still alive. But you they just there, knew, they, you knew, knew that, that you were your ancestors somehow. Yeah, I knew that they were my family. Like I wasn't really thinking of them in terms of ancestors. I mean, I thought like my family has come. And that was really weird because I didn't know that I was going to be that ill or, you know, because I spent like the next week in a coma. So I, I didn't really know, um, you know, that that, that, that would, would um, you know, that that, that, that that would be the outcome of it. So it wasn't as if I thought, yeah, that that was some sort of trigger in my mind, thinking like, "Oh, I'm seriously ill. I'm expecting to see some people from the other side or something." Yeah. It, it was very, very odd. And I thought about some other experiences that I had in that house. You know, those odd things would happen. I remember I always used to see flashing lights, little little circles of light in the in the bathroom. Uh, I don't know why that was. I one day when I was sitting in my bedroom, the light bulb unscrewed and fell to the floor. Um, one time. Um, I woke up and I saw someone praying by the side of my bed. Uh, a few times I woke up to the sensation of someone pulling my arm to wake up that there was no one there. So th there was over the years. I mean, this is, again, it sounds like loads of freaky stuff was constantly happening in a poltergeist sort of way, but this is spread over years and years. You know, I mean, I lived for at least a decade in that house. So this is sort of spread over all that time. Um, so yeah, I, I, it did make me think as well about sort of later in life when, uh, and as you well know, and as you were often involved in, um, I got into a lot of, uh, drunken hijinks. Oh, you and, certainly did. And, and we certainly and, did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and lots of, um, quite extreme things. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I was, kind. Yeah, of the time. Yeah, um, and and um, I um, I was I was hit by a car a car twice. You know, not the same car. These different experiences <laughs> and so on. And and yet nothing. You know, like like. You know, but by sheer luck or whatever, none of it's really had serious consequences. And that's something else that Dara Mason talked about in one of the Darkman episodes of Spirit Box is that feeling of of being watched over in some way or looked after. Um, which I think links through to during that time. And I was doing, I was drinking a lot and so on. I was doing a lot of music at that time. And I personified in my head the idea of creativity in, in a very unoriginal way, which was muses. So so I saw the muses as, as external entities, which spoke to me and guided me because I used, the way I used to write music, like I used to write music by accident and uh, by auditory hallucination. Uh, which makes it sound like I was hearing like Brian Wilson type stuff in my head, which I wasn't. I'd just hear glimpses of music or whatever. I'd lay down a track, I'd hear whatever backing track. I'd quickly hammer it out in my basic way on a piano and record it that way. Or I'd pick up a guitar and a song would fall out. 
Yeah. Yeah. Not, not, I'm not talking about brilliant songs or anything, but that was how I, that was my creative process. I wasn't, I didn't plan it or, um, you know, try and build layers in my head or anything. It all happened in the moment. And that made me think about creativity as, as an external way. And then one time I remember very clearly, I, I had a very vivid dream that my granddad, who, who was dead, was in my dream, but he looked different. And interestingly, he was wearing a dark suit and a hat. And he talked to me about the muses. And it's interesting as well, because he was a big influence in music in my life. He was he was an operatic tenor, and he was very, very into music. Um, and he'd encouraged me and taught me to sing a little bit and that sort of thing. And so to have him in my dream talking to me about these external ideas of, of uh, creativity and so on was, was, was a very, very interesting thing. Plus that the, the idea of him not quite being him, he didn't quite look like him and he was wearing the black suit and the hat and so on. And, th- and that makes me think of, of the dark man as the trickster figure. Anyway, I, I um, so so, so th- those that that's that collection of experiences that I I then wrote down into a massive email, which I I sent to Dara Mason, <laughs> and and uh, because he's collecting uh, stories of of the dark. Yeah, it wasn't unsolicited. It wasn't just like you bombarded him with a. No, but it was a very long. I mean, I printed it out to uh, put into my magic journal and it's three pages of A4. So it's yeah. quite long. And he's given me a holding reply so far, uh, which I, I don't really blame him because it was full of odd experiences, that sort of thing. And it does make me feel a little bit... I was worried about talking about it. Yeah. Because it obviously sounds odd and it sounds like... I mean, I think I think it's it's, it's got to be made clear that like... At that time of my life, obviously, I, 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 you know, when I was younger, I wasn't doing any sort of drugs or anything like that. Uh, obviously, I was very, very young, and um, it, it, you know, even to, to you know, to date, I've only done hallucinogenics a few times, you know, and and that was twenty years ago, you know. So it, it's not like, and and um, I'll 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 put it that I've. I've obviously not been diagnosed with any mental condition or anything. And I, and I, I'm not stigmatizing that in any way, but there's nothing uh, to suggest uh, anything that would cause hallucination or yeah. anything like that, that I, that I know about. So all of this stuff, and whilst it's quite an intense burst, all that that's happened over a lifetime of 40 years. So yeah. it, it, it has been spaced out, but um, actually talking about it, I feel a little bit kind of vindicated in yeah a way. i mean i think this is the place to talk about it you know vase is the place yeah it's, yeah um it's you know i think uh we it would be good to have other people come on and talk about their yeah definitely because it's all for us to learn from isn't it and and if anyone wants to email us long rambling emails about their experiences please feel free i i'd, I'd enjoy to read that and the place to do that is vase info at gmail.com so that's v-a-y-s-e-i-n-f-o at gmail.com um and i started to think then so you know trying to make some sense out of that in in context of my life now you know because we we talked a bit about how the i ching had uh one blocked me in a way and then that very intense experience with pan recently and there is some strange connections between the dark man figure and Pan. Right. And and that comes through as well, um, ideas or various rationalizations of 
Lucifer and the Devil as well, which um, in in my Catholic days would have startled me a little bit. Uh, But um, a lot of people talk about Pan being a trickster. They talk about the Dark Man being a trickster as well. And uh, also um, from the episode 100 with um, Shuli Porter, um, she mentioned that one time the Dark Man showed her his legs and they were hairy cloven legs. Ooh. Which of course links through to Pan. So I, I wondered if that would would possibly be a connection through there. And before I'd started thinking about it, before I'd listened to the Spirit Box episodes recently, maybe two, three weeks ago, I walked the dog late at night again at dusk through the woods, uh, which I do very, very often, uh, nearly every day. Um, uh, but this time there was a, a weird feeling that I was being watched. Um, and you know, this sort of thing where you want to keep looking over your shoulder, you know, and, and as I walked through the woods into the clearing, I had it very, very strongly. I looked over my shoulder and I did see a, a, a dark figure step out, which I thought was a person. But then as it stepped into the clearing, it disappeared. Shit. So, and is I, this I, the same wood where you heard the guttural howl? Yes. Yeah. This is the same place. This, this is, this is very, the clearing where I watched the sun go down. So I, I, I did start to wonder like, you know, whether, because as a kid, I, I was very, very, very open to the idea of this sort of experience. And then time and then, you know, obvious like stuff in life, you know, like you going out drinking, being in bands when I was, you know, my teens and twenties, and then you're know, concentrating on things like more quote, quote unquote, grown up things, you know, like having a, a mortgage and all that sort of stuff. I think it closes you off to this. And I've also got a fairly corporate type job, you know, um, yeah. so th- th- there's no tolerance for this sort of tomfoolery. You know? So I wonder if, if that closes it off. And then Vase, the whole I think, idea of Vase in these last few months of exploring these ideas have reopened my senses to to this sort of experience. And um, in a way, sort of kind of opened the floodgates and, and things are starting to come back. And that, in a way, to me, makes sense of my Ching readings, uh, I Ching readings, I Ching readings, which have been like, um, you know, very much, uh, you know, like hold steady, you know, be steadfast in your intentions and what you want to get out of this, move cautiously. And that could be because, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily, particularly with the idea of spirit work, which it's been clear that I have to hold off on until September. And it's been clear about that in ways which I'll explain at a, at a later date. I won't go into that today. But it's, it's, it's basically saying hold off till the end of September. Um, it could, could be because, you know, perhaps, you know, I have had some sort of experience like this before and it's not a clean beginning for me with that sort of spirit work and that perhaps I do have to proceed cautiously for those reasons. Yeah. I mean, it's really, if you think about sort of our intention at the start of Vase, it kind of almost was that kind of reopening of the doors or the, 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 you know, the mind, so to speak, wasn't it? And it it seems like this is happening, you know, we've not seen a UFO yet, but that will come in time. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, for the time being, it's like, you know, what you described about, um, kind of putting aside some of these kind of walls almost that you've built around yourself or that, that not necessarily that you've built, but the adult world has built around you and builds around everyone. Um, but that kind of reweirding of your own brain, um, it sounds like 
that's happening. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think this is something. So I, I think our intention is that we will, as, um, you know, as we move through, you know, we, we've got some good ideas for people who we like to come and, and talk to us. Um, a few people have confirmed, um, so we'll have some more guests coming up. But I think we'll always come back to these sort of catch-up episodes where we'll yeah. talk about the things that we've been doing and how they're affecting us, because that is sort of the most, I think, to me, the most interesting part of this is the personal experience. And that's what we want from our guests as well, to talk about their personal experience of this phenomena and even if it's just like the little sort of dark wisps that we're experiencing now or people who've had full-blown big Whitley-Stryber situations (laughs) yeah yeah um so uh I I, and and I think that um you know again if people want to get in touch with us um we're on um twitter um that's Vase and then Vase spelt backwards. So it's at V A Y S E E S Y A V. Um, and that's the same on Instagram. Uh, we're giving you the email address. Um, people, if you would, if you're enjoying listening to us and you're enjoying what we're doing, um, if you could subscribe to our podcast on however you listen to it, however you found this, um, if you subscribe to us, it would be really helpful. And if you give us a nice review, that would be helpful too. Go on, give us a good review. Or, or if not good, at least say that we're charming and uh, in our lack of knowledge and our inexperience. Yeah, it's like it's cute how they're kind of so naive, yet <laughs> also 40 years old. <laughs> yeah. I, um, was, so, go go on. On. I was just going to say, uh, talking of Whitley Stryber, 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 um, I watched that film based on his book the other day. And it's absolutely bonkers. It's insane. It's like, it's a really disturbing film. And um, it just led me to the question, would you be happy with Christopher Walken playing you in a film about Vase? I don't mean, I mean, Christopher Walken age 40, not Walken now. Yeah, you need maybe some CGI for that. Um, Yeah, but would you be, do you think he could portray you in the same way that he did Strieber, Striber? Well, I think he could. I, but would you be happy with it? Is what I'm it, asking. It's hard because because I I, I wouldn't be happy. I'd be overjoyed. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd be I'd, I'd be beside myself literally as I watched him portray me because I I like Christopher Walken a lot, and I mean if you're talking about um a vase movie, I think I think he'd be my first choice. Yeah, Walken. <laughs> Walking, yeah. Um, we'll, Who we'll would be I be? Cage. Um, <laughs> or Nicholas Cage. <laughs> that would be a hell of a cast. <laughs> It'd be too much. You couldn't get them both in the same. Have they ever been in the same film? I don't know. Oh, God, we'll I don't know. I up. hope so. If, if they haven't been, then there's some screen alchemy there. That, but I imagine been... it would be a situation like too, you know, it'd be too much. It'd be. It'd be like there'd be some kind of weird shit went down. Yeah, that reminds me of like, I watched recently, um, and this is completely non-supernatural, but I watched recently House of Gucci, where there's a a scene where it's Jared Leto talking to um, um, Al Pacino. 
And God, there's some scenery being chewed there. It's surprised yeah. that there was anything left after that scene. Um, I'm, I'm talking about a particular scene towards the end of the film, and I won't spoil it in case people haven't watched it, because that film, even though it, it's it's allegedly a true story, there is some serious weirdness in that movie. Like, like not intentional. It's just very, very weird. Like, it, it, it was kind of like one of those things you couldn't take your eyes off. Very, very odd. Oh, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, so so would that be your first choice then for uh, Nicholas Cage? Would not be my first choice. No, I would be your I'd first just, choice. Um, I'd have to think about that. Um, I mean, I think to play me, it would have to be the actress Jessie Buckley because we have the same surname and she's amazing in everything that she does. But she'd have to put on a fake mustache and cut her hair quite short. But I've never seen her in anything and not been like. Wow, she's a good actor. You know who I think would be ideal for you? Go on. If if, if I was going to be walking, you would be Daniel Day-Lewis. Okay, um, yeah. Then, no, then, I, I, like I'd drink your milkshake kind of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then, and oh, then, yeah. um, and then I'd, I'd be the uh, communion, uh, the, the, <laughs> the, the communion um, <laughs> walking. <laughs> yeah, and I'd be drinking the milkshake, Lewis. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so I think um, if, if there's any... Um, powerful film producers listening to this right now i don't doubt there will be we, we've handed you a gift a gift and the, this this show itself will be the script we've done the casting i've got the music in the bag there's very little work left to be done on this movie <laughs> i mean i'm expecting it to be coming out soon <laughs> it's gonna be uh yeah it's gonna be the christmas blockbuster of 2022 yeah walking in a winter wonderland <laughs>